Okay. All right, let me pray for us. Let's get in the Word. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, Lord. And uh, Father, we, uh, we come to you wanting to hear from you and be changed by you. Lord, you have loved us well. Let us respond to your Word, even hard words this morning, even hard words with love and obedience. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I got to see and be reminded of God's hand of provision in kind of a neat way this week. As uh, If you were with us during announcements, I mentioned we had taken a special offering for Casa de Oración, and uh, God provided $22,000 that we were able to give uh, to Casa. And in addition to us asking people here at New Hope to give, um, I had advocated for Pastor Brahm and called around with some other pastors that I knew, and uh, their churches as well gave to that uh, new thing. It was good stuff, Jesus stuff, and then uh, that all happened at the end of last weekend. Well, Tuesday afternoon, I get a call from another friend of mine. I've mentioned him here before. His name is Cornelius Roberson. He's in Detroit, and he works in the inner city there for the last five years. And uh, New Hope was able to support him uh, last year, and, and it called me, and we just chat every once in a while. And he said, uh, he goes, i got to tell you a story, uh, Gary. He goes, I did a funeral for a fellow pastor about a month ago, and the, the, widow, the widow reached out to me and uh, told me the situation. She said, our, our church is, is down to just a handful of people. My husband has passed away, um, and we'd like you to come and take over the church. Would you kind of enfold us into your church, Heart and Soul Community Church in Detroit? And uh, he said, you know, uh, I, I said, I have a heart for her and would allow her to stay um, in the parsonage for however long. And uh, she said, now the thing is, we own our own building. It's free and clear, and we have five acres of land. And Cornelius said, you know, uh, I was so moved by that because it would be so significant for our church. Uh, but the problem was this, church, this building was old. It needed a roof repair, which is something we know about here at New Hope. It needed some other things to be functional. But it would be a huge boon to their ministry, enable them to expand them into new neighborhoods and give them a place of their own that they'd prayed for. But they needed help. Heart and soul works among almost exclusively the poor. And I've told him in the past, I said, when you need, when you have something that you need, you call us, right? And uh, we'll, we'll come alongside of you. Now, under ordinary circumstances, when he tells me this, I say, yes, hey, of course we're going to come alongside of you. Um, but we had just done this like two days before. We had just kind of said, oh, we're going for, 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 to pour ourselves out on behalf of CASA. And as I'm, I'm thinking, as we're talking, I'm like, Lord, why now? Why, why couldn't this be six months from now? I, I can't call around again, right? Uh, and I said, you know what, Cornelius, I'll, I'll talk to my elder. I'll see what we can do. But really, in my heart, I didn't have too much of hope. And I said, you know what? You know, let's ask the Lord for this. And so we pray together, and we say, Lord, you know the timing of everything. It's not like you're surprised about what happened here. And so we said, Lord, I said, let me, let me see what the Lord does, and I'll come back to you, right? And so we pray, and we said, Lord, would you, would you answer in this? Let Cornelius know this is the place for them. And would you answer in this? Because we want to be generous here. And uh, we hang up the phone. Five minutes later, I get a call from one of our supporters. And it's a guy from out of state, doesn't go here to New Hope. And every other month, he calls me up and he asks me the same question. He says, hey, what do you need? What can I be generous toward? And I'm like, you know, have I got a church for you, man? Have I got a church for you? And I tell him about heart and soul. And, and he's like, oh, I got, I got something for that. And he sent a gift for them. Uh, this week, and I hang up the phone. I'm like, all right, Jesus, that's funny, right? My phone rings again. It's a guy from here, and he says, hey, we just experienced a special blessing. 
uh, anything going on at church that I could help with? And I said, let me tell you about this heart and soul in Detroit. And then he came in and brought a special gift this week. And then um, I, I was in a pastor's meeting the next day, and Cornelius said, hey, can you ask some of your pastors they could support? I said, I just did that. But I, I'm, I'm, at the, I'm at the meeting, and I'm talking to my old boss, Mark Albrecht, and I'm telling him the story, and, and they had given very generously to CASA. And I said, yeah, I just heard, I just heard from our uh, Cornelius out in Detroit. And he goes, you know, he goes, we just received a special blessing this week. Have Cornelius give me a call. And I got to call Cornelius back and go, doesn't, doesn't our father own the cattle on a thousand hills? Right? Isn't awesome Jesus stuff, right? And as I was looking at our scripture this week, it reminded me of something in this conversation I had with that first guy. That guy who calls me every other month and who always says, hey, what do you need? And uh, he said something because we were talking afterward. And he's come through for us so many times. He's initiated generosity with us. And I said, hey, I, I got to tell you, I really appreciate you. God really seems to know. He really seems to know when there's a moment for you to give to. Or, and uh, I said, I really appreciate your generosity. It is above and beyond. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. And he goes, I'm not generous. He goes, you know who was generous? My dad. He goes, I got to tell you, my dad was the most generous person I'd ever seen. He goes, I go out with him, and my dad was always stopping by somewhere to help out a family or to help out a mission somewhere. Um, he took care of so many things anonymously over and over again, but I got to watch him. And he goes, that guy, that guy was generous. All I'm doing is trying to live up to him. And I thought, isn't that how it works, right? We do what we see. We love because we're loved. We're generous because we've been treated generously. And that's exactly where we're going today. We're in this series about love. And love is one of those things that we, we give more freely when we understand what we've been given. And here's, here's the base truth. We who are Christ followers, we love because we were loved. Our passage today comes from 1 John and let us, lets us be reminded of how well we are loved and that our love for others can come from this deep wellspring of that love. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 7. It says this, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. He says love is this identifying characteristic of a Christ follower. It's our first solution to every problem. It's our strategy for life. John even says that it's logically linked. He says if you love, if you love, then you're born of God. If you don't love, then you're not born of God. They always go together. See, John's been talking in the book of 1 John about distinguishing uh, evil from good, evil spirits from good spirits. And he says, here's how you can tell a good spirit. A good spirit acknowledges that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And then since that acknowledges it, now we can lean on the power of Jesus, and he tells us that the one who dwells in us is greater than the one that's in the world. And I love that verse. It's a reminder that everywhere we go, we don't go alone. We go riding with the Spirit of God on His coattails, His agenda, His power. And he says, since that's who you are, when you get somewhere, that you have the same agenda as the Spirit of God. Everywhere the Spirit of God goes, His agenda, whether He's convicting of sin or rebuking or encouraging, His agenda is the same. It's a love agenda. 
And so he says, when you're with him, you have a love agenda everywhere that you go. He says, here's what that looks like. Verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So how do we love? We love like Jesus. I mean, that's our name. If you're a Christian, we're little Jesuses. We're little Christs. That's what Christians means, little Christs. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did Jesus love? Well, he tells us right here. It says, one, he loved first. And secondly, he loved sacrificially. And then third, he loved in a way that transforms us. So let's start at the beginning, right? It says, Jesus loved first. Boy, that, that's a scary thing for us humans, right? We don't want to love first. We want to be sure that we're going to be loved back. We don't want to be taken advantage of. I remember a few months after uh, Liz and I started dating, I was absolutely smitten with her. I would surprise her with flowers. I would skip my own classes to walk her to her classes. Um, we'd talk on the phone for hours and hours. We'd make each other mixtapes. I mean, it was the 90s, right? And one night, we were on a bus going to a date night that was set up by her sorority. There's a hundred kids on this bus, and the bus is super loud, right? And so when you're talking to each other, you're just yelling into each other's ears. And at one point in the conversation, Liz leans over and yells something in my ear like, I think something probably really practical like, I think we'll be back around two. Liz is always planning, right? All the time. And I, and I, but what I hear <laughs> when she says, Ooh, I hear, I love you. And I was like, oh, man. And, I, and the bus comes to a stop. And it quiets down. And all this background noise goes away. And I look at her and I look in those eyes. And I'm like, you know what? I give her my most sincere, smokiest look. And I go, and I love you. And here's one thing to know about my wife. My wife never tells white lies. She's never concerned about how you feel about the truth. That's not something she's concerned about. She's just going to tell you it. And so with the bus still stopped, uh, I noticed that the look on her face when I said I love you too was one of confusion. And uh, she says, um, yeah, uh, I didn't say that. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, it's fine, it's fine. And now my heart is out there, right? And what do you do? And I sat there in that moment, and I was like, I'm doubling down. I'm doubling down. Thank God I did, right? And I, and I go, okay, I'm still valid. I, I love you. Right? And someday I hope that you'll love me back. I mean, no. <laughs> Look, going first is hard. It's risky. And yet Jesus goes first. He goes first in love. He declares and shows his love for us first. And here's the thing about Jesus. He knows, even before he goes first, that many people are going to reject him. Even some people who will love him eventually will reject him first. And some people who reject him first will keep rejecting him. Some people are going to hate him. 
Some people are going to accuse him of things, blame him for things, and yet he declares his love for each and every one of us. See, love is Jesus' posture toward us all the time. Even when he's correcting us, even when he's rebuking us, he does so in love. It's his constant game plan. You could, if you found Jesus' playbook and have one play, love. That's his play. Here, I'm going to come down. I'm going to love. Because as we talked about when we talked about 1 Corinthians, because love never fails. That's, so I always run the same play, right? I, I, lo- I run the love never fails play. And so you can ask yourself, how does Jesus think about me right now? How does Jesus feel about me at any moment in your life? It could be your worst, most shameful, terrible moment. It can be your best, whatever it is. At any moment in your life, how does Jesus feel about you? What's he thinking about you? He loves you. Every moment. Remind yourself of that. No matter what's going on in your life, the worst times, the times you're rejecting him, even when you're yelling, I hate you at him, he loves you. Now, he may not love what you're doing. He may not love how you're treating other people. He may not love how you're treating yourself. He may be opposing you. But behind that is his game plan. Behind that is love. And so since Jesus loved us first and loves us consistently, we're called to love first because we're little Christs. And Jesus proves that love. He displays that love by laying down his life. See, because Jesus doesn't just love first, he loves sacrificially. His love has cost him something, and what it cost him is hard for us to grasp because it cost him something that we don't have. You might be saying, hang on a second, it cost him his life. Yes, and I have a life. Yes, agreed. But it also cost him something we don't have. It cost him his place in heaven. It cost him his righteousness. It cost him his reputation. See, he came from a place of perfection. No pain, no suffering, perfect relationship with the Father, only joy. And he surrendered that place sacrificially for us. He never sinned. He was perfectly holy, and yet he bore the punishment for our sin. No one could say a legitimate bad word about Jesus. That's impossible. And yet he allows us to be called by his name even though we drag it through the mud. I, uh, I, I've gotten used to the, the comment, uh, you're a pastor, uh, over the years. Uh, maybe it's the way that I dress or the way that I talk or because I'm too good of a dancer at weddings. Guilty, okay? And I take some pride in that. I'm like, oh, I'm unexpected for people. That's good. But I have also received that line uh, when I've brought shame on the name of Jesus. And if I had to tell you the top 10 times that I've, uh, shamed Jesus, I, I, I don't have the courage to tell you those stories. So here's uh, like number 39, okay? Uh, a number of years ago, I was a pastor at my old church, and a friend of mine who was a believer and I, we decided to play this uh, contest over the summer. Liz had gotten me a coupon book uh, for cheap golf courses, and so we played, I think, eight of them that summer, and we kept a running score, and we made a bet. I said, okay, the, the, whoever wins the summer, the other person has to host a card game with all of our friends with snacks and make a speech about the other person about how great they are. And so over, the, over eight weeks of this, um, I lose. I lose by two strokes. 
Did he cheat? Maybe. Not going to bring that up, right? And so uh, I have to host this card game at my house. And so we have a, a bunch of our friends over, and we're going to play cards and have snacks. I'm going to make this speech. And so I invite mostly guys that I know. We're, all, we're in the same small group. But there was a friend of ours, a gal who was coming to the church. She had come to Christ, and then her husband was like a little weirded out by her coming to Christ. And so I've been reaching out to this guy, trying to explain to him what it meant to be a Christian, trying to get him in. And we had become a little bit of friendly. And I said, hey, I'm having this card game at my house. Why don't you come over? And I'm thinking, hey, we're playing nickel-dime poker. No money really on the table. I'm like, this would be a great environment. I'll meet all these guys. He'll see we're just normal guys, and he'll, he'll want to know more, right? And so I invite him over, and we're having a great time. Things are going well, and we're playing cards, and, we, and it gets to the part of the night uh, when we're gonna, I'm going to make my speech, right? And uh, here's something that you probably know about me if you know me. I have this great uh, desire uh, to be liked, and I want to be seen as something special. And I want people to think I'm funny and different. And that wells up inside of me sometimes at the worst moments, is this desire for my own reputation. And so I get to this moment where I'm going to make this speech, and, and I'm like, I can't just be like, this guy's great, and here's why. I, I mean, I could have done something sweet, and they would have been, oh, right, we could have played cards, and that would have been it. But I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be funny. I'm going to be shocking. And and what poured out of me was the vilest, filthiest language you've ever heard. And, and as I'm doing it, I think I'm hysterical. And I'm like, man, how funny am I? How great am I? And the guys are laughing, you know, and, uh, but not the guy I invited. Not the friend of the guy, girl who'd come to Christ. And uh, I get done, and I think I'm so great. And he looks at me, and he goes, you're a pastor? And uh, a couple weeks later, I take him out to lunch, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be the day he comes to Christ. And I said, hey, here's what it is to follow Jesus. And I lay out, here's what it is to trust in Christ. And I, I, I'm invested in this. I want this for his family. And, uh, and he goes, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I, I can't hear this from you. He goes, all I can hear out of your mouth is that speech you gave. And... Uh, and I discredited Jesus. And I became a stumbling block for that guy. I actually caused a problem uh, in his marriage because his wife didn't believe what he said. And you know what? And Jesus still loved me. I dragged his name through the mud, and Jesus still loved me. He loved me even knowing it would cost him his reputation. He loved me even though I shamed him. I wasn't someone who didn't know better. I was someone who knew him and knew him well, who'd been loved by him, forgiven by him, and I'd treated his name like trash. I'd worn his name around proudly and then drug it through the filth. And Jesus still loved me. He loves us sacrificially. He gives up things for us. And because of that, we're called to love sacrificially. Finally, Jesus loves us in a way that transforms us. Look again at verse 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
Since God loves us, we also ought to love one another. Our first response to this might be, but of course I love other people. I love my family. I love my friends. Uh, but John isn't telling us to keep doing what we're doing apart from Jesus. He's, he's, saying about, he's talking about something more. There's this little phrase that says, God's love is made complete in us. It means that until we love one another, we don't understand all of what it means to be loved by God. Until we've become the one who is giving out the love, we don't understand how well we've been loved. We don't know what that love costs. We don't know what those choices were to get there. We don't know what it means until we've been the one who's loved someone else. I remember as a, uh, a teenager uh, going with my dad to go and visit my mother's grave. And it was a hard situation for him. He'd been uh, widowed uh, when I was nine. He was remarried and doing his best to make that marriage work. And, and that's a hard situation, right? I mean, how, how's my stepmother supposed to compete with a lady who passed away, right, with a picture. You know, how, how are you supposed to do that? And so uh, my dad, kind of, even though he, he loved my stepmom and, and, and was invested in there, he still grieved. He still grieved for her loss. And so he liked to go to the cemetery. And I'll, I don't like the cemetery. I, I don't like it now. I mean, it's ironic for someone who does funerals. I don't like the cemetery. And we would go there, and he would make us go when we were younger. And and I, now, granted, sometimes we'd go there, and he'd, he'd talk to my mom's grave, and sometimes he'd talk trash about me to my mom. I, he would be like, Carol, I don't know what to do with this moron over here. What is he, you know, and I'm like, this is why I don't come to the cemetery, Dad. And so once I got a little older, I, I stopped going with him. I was like, Dad, I don't really like to go. My, but my dad would still sneak out. And I remember when I was uh, 17, uh, it was my mom's birthday. My mom's birthday is February 23rd, and she'd been gone a number of years, and my dad was getting up. My brother was away at college. My dad was getting up to sneak out to the cemetery. And something, I was not a believer at the time, something just kind of a little nudge. I said, hey, can I come with you, Dad? And we went. It had been a long time since I'd gone. And we went and stood over my mother's grave. And I listened to my dad talk to my mom. And, and then he's like, he nudges me like, talk to your mother, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this moron father. I don't know what to tell you, you know, right? And, uh, and we cried together, and we went out and got breakfast. And I remember my dad just, like, he loved me for that. And he put his arm around me, and I'm like, hey, thank you so much, right? And uh, so this past week was my mother's birthday. It's been gone a long time. It's been 40, almost 40 years since my mom was gone. And so my oldest is away at college, uh, and her middle name is the same as my mom's name, Caroline. And uh, her birthday, on her birthday, I always think about my mom. But it's, it's been a long time. And I wake up uh, to a text from my oldest this week on my mom's birthday. And she just says, hey, I just wanted to know, I wanted to let you know that I, I love you, Dad. And uh, I was thinking about uh, Grandma today, even though I didn't get to meet her. And I know that's a hard day for you. And I just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you and I love you. She came and shared it with me. Just for a moment, I text her back, whatever, and I just shared it with me for a moment. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I get how my dad felt about me that I came and shared with him that moment. Because that's how I feel about my daughter right now. Right? You see, when we love someone, we understand what love costs. We understand that it costs us grief. It's not like loving someone just works out perfectly. We don't just love people and they live forever and everything goes great. We love people and they die. 
We love people and it gets broken. We love people and it costs us things. And that makes the love all the sweeter because we continue to choose it. We continue to lean into it. We continue to be focused on the other person. And so when we love other people, especially difficult people, we understand the heart of God for us. The hardest person in your life to love is the person who can probably teach you the most about the love God has for you. Because what it takes for you to love them is what God goes through regularly to love you. You know how hard it was for God to love me when I pulled his name through the trash? I don't know that unless I love someone who pulled my name through the trash. We love because he first loved us. We love because he loved us sacrificially. And we love God. When we love God, it changes us and transforms us. His love is made complete in us. Since God has loved us, we turn and love others. It brings to mind to me the words of that great worship song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. God's love dwells in the Christ follower. It's not just something that's out there. It comes in to us. Here's how John explains it, verse 13 of 1 John 4. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We're not the same after we trust Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. It confirms our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit convicts us. He encourages us. He spurs us on to love and good deeds. And the center of that love, the center of that message the Holy Spirit brings, all comes around the person of Jesus. Listen to verse 14. It says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. There is no real love. No God-level love. No indwelling love. No sacrificial love. No transforming love outside of Jesus. Everything else that we call love, that our culture calls love, is a pale imitation. For only with God's love delivered to us by Jesus can we really love. Let's keep going in verse 16. It says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I believe that what we often call love in our culture in a world apart from Jesus is some version of fear. It, it's fear of being rejected. It's fear of being alone. It's fear of being punished for our sin. But when we're loved by God, fear has no place because our sin is paid for. We're released from that fear of punishment. Our debt is paid. We're released from that fear of being alone because the Spirit of God lives in us as our constant companion. We're free from the, spirit, the, the fear of rejection because Jesus has already received us with all of our flaws. When these fears are dealt with by the love of God, fear can no longer control us. It cannot hinder the love that God wants to pour through us. 
Let's finish the passage, and then we're going to get practical here. Verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Don't mess around with us, John, right? It says, For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He's given us this command. Anyone who, also, who, who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so we have to start with this question, right? We have to start with the question of, have I really surrendered to God? Here's how John would tell you to test yourself in this. If you say, do I really love God? Do I know God? He'd say, do you hate your brother or sister? Do you hate? Because if, if there's still hate dwelling in you, then you can't have received the love of Christ because it drives it out. If there's still hate going on in you, then it should have been driven out by the love of God. It should have been driven out by the person of Jesus Christ. And so if there's hate dwelling in you, we need to ask ourselves this hard question, have I truly received from Jesus? And look, I've had to be dealt with in this. God deals with me as I inch toward hate in relationship. He calls me to confess that, to turn from it, to give it to Him, to repent of it. And it's especially applied to the church, to the brothers and sisters of the church, to our unity. Look, these days have engendered much disagreement among the family of God. But we are not to be so easily divided. We are to lean in, to look for ways to love one another, to affirm each other, to focus on what we have in common, to be patient, to celebrate other people's success, to consider other people's weaknesses and situations to not be easily offended or look for a fight. i got to tell you this. I have this weird thing, and maybe you do too. Um, I have this weird relationship with people I don't like. Sometimes, especially on social media, I, I seek out things to disagree with them about. If there's someone I know who has a different, in a different place than me on different issues, sometimes I go and read their stuff just to be mad at them just to criticize them, just to see what stupid thing they've been up to next. Now, I'm, I'm smart enough that I rarely, rarely reply on social media. But my wife gets to hear about it. Did you see what so-and-so did? And it, honestly, if I don't like someone, if I'm moving toward hate towards someone, it doesn't even matter what they're doing. They could be doing the most wonderful thing. They could have started a food pantry in their town. I'm like, oh, that's original, a food pantry, right? Like, whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure they're just trying to look holy. Because I have already decided they're evil. doesn't matter what good thing they've done. I'm going to judge them for it. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I don't think so. I think a lot of us look for trouble. We lean into gossip. We lean into trouble because we want to fight somebody. We want to be right about something. We want someone else to criticize. But the same way that I can lean into evil... I can lean into good. I can lean in and say, there's probably a story behind that. You know what? They're, they're probably just doing their best. You know, maybe they had a really bad day. Maybe they're suffering through something really difficult right now. Or maybe, like everyone else on the planet, you know what's always true of everyone you're talking to? Every single person that you know grew up in the broken world. Every one of them grew up in a broken world, was deceived. You might be telling yourself, oh no, they've always had it perfect. Really? Where did they live? I don't know where they lived. I don't care if they grew up with money or without money or parents or not parents or whatever. Everyone grew up in the broken world. All of us. 
It's not, a comp- it's, not a, it's not a competition of who had it worse or who had it better. We're not the judges of that. We're terrible judges of that, by the way. We try to judge, well, you had it easier than me. You have no idea. Only the perfect judge can judge. We're not judges. But we know the truth. Every single person you're talking to grew up in a broken world, got lied to, got rejected, has had the devil after them. Consider that. Every single, especially a Christ follower, every Christ follower you know has had the evil one working against them. And when you play into that too, whose side are you on? Is God the one looking for their faults to to pick out and condemn them with? No, he may convict of sin to bring them back to righteousness, but the one who's trying to convict them of stuff and say, uh, and, and use it for guilt to drive them away from God, that's the devil. So if you're out looking for trouble, that's whose side you're on. We can choose the other side. We can choose. Those of us who are in Christ, us little Christs, can choose to lean in with compassion and understanding and kindness and generosity because we've been loved. We were loved first. We were loved sacrificially. And we were loved by a love that changes us. And so that's our application this week, right? How do we be little Christ this week? I think we consider these three things. In every situation I'm in, how can I love first? How can I go first in love? And whenever I'm in a situation, I'm in a conflict, I'm in a, I have a dilemma, whatever it is, I'm in an opportunity, a great question for the Christ follower to start with is, what's the most loving thing I can do in this situation? That, that's, if you want to be like Jesus, that's the question he's, he's, he's going to be, that answer is more in line with what he would do. What can I, what's the most loving thing I can do in this situation? Second, we love sacrificially, right? What can I give up so it's better for others? Is, is there a way that I, is there something I can give financially? Is there something, is there a way that I can lend my reputation? Is there a way that I can look bad so that someone else can look good? What can I give up to benefit somebody else? When I do that, I'm being a little Christ because that's what he did all the time. And finally, how can I love in a way that changes others? What can I do to change someone's mind about Jesus or Christians? Is it by uh, showing a radical forgiveness or mercy? Is it by not being easily offended? Is it by owning up to my own sin? I'll tell you, that will throw people off like nothing, by the way. If someone comes into you and goes, you did this and that to me, the, the best way to end that, I go, you're absolutely right, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Not explanations, not why it was secretly their fault. A heartfelt, real apology will stop things in their tracks. Nobody does that. Right? You might think, well, if I admit to my faults, they're going to think that Jesus is... No, no, if I admit to my faults because I know I'm forgiven, because I'm not trying to earn your approval, that shines like the sun. Humility, forgiveness, owning our own stuff. Man, man, that stuff, that stuff raises God's reputation. Only Christians, only Christians, are the, when we act like that, Jesus' reputation rises and rises. So think through your life, right? Is there a situation that you're in that you could love first? You could kind of put that love out there. Second, is there a way that you can love second? Is there something you can give up so that someone else can have it better? And finally, can you love in such a way that it will change someone's mind about Jesus? Let, let God work on you in that way. Uh, I'll, I'll play along too, okay? And uh, I, I know that God will bless you in that, and you'll see and understand his love in a new way.
Let us be a people of love, new hope. Let me pray that for us. Father God, thank you that you loved us first. You went first. You loved us in the middle of our terrible. You loved us while we were yet sinners. You loved us in the middle of our rebellion. And Lord, you loved us sacrificially. You gave up your reputation. You, you gave up your perfect place. You gave up your life for us. And you loved us in a way that changed us. Your love stays with us. Your love trains us and encourages us and molds us. Lord, let us be a transformed people who love well, even those, even those who are against us. And we pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for worshiping with us today and persevering through some of our technical challenges. Uh, we love you for being part of that, and may God's love fall on you and your household. We pray these things in Jesus' name. I'm praying now. I don't know. Have a great day.